He is risen. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 28. Starting in verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And then down in verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am so happy that you are with us on this Easter Sunday. Would you join me now as we pray and ask for God's leading in our time together? Father, thank you. You are here. You have invited us into your victory, your plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you'd pour out the spirit of revelation on our hearts today, that we would grasp, Lord, not just in our minds, but in our hearts, what Jesus has done. Father, I pray uh, for the moving of your Holy Spirit that we will respond fully in this day, in this hour, to all you are asking. Lord, please hide me behind your cross. Today, like no other day, we need to see Jesus and we need to hear Jesus. So Lord, Help the technology, help the transmission, help me as I speak, Lord. Have your way, we pray. We love you, and we thank you in advance for doing this. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of the message this morning is A New Beginning. 
Matthew 28 starts out with these words. At dawn on the first day of the week. It is a beginning. It's the beginning of a day, and it's the first day of the week. It is a beginning of that day and of that week, but it is so much more than that. As they behold the empty tomb, it is a new beginning of tremendous proportions. First point this morning is that it was a new beginning for the human race. God sovereignly arranged that every time we say the date, whether we're a Christian or a non-Christian, we are acknowledging the time has been split in two. And the split came with Jesus. With Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and resurrection, a new era began. There is an old era and there is a new era in the providence of God, in the sovereign plan of God. First, let's look at um, the old era. When God created mankind, um, he made us as free moral beings that could love him or not love him. And you know the story. Man chose no. Man chose no to God. And the result of that was horrible. The result of sin was that a curse came on all of humanity, on all of creation. And all through the Old Testament, what we see is God restraining sin through judgment. He is restraining sin through judgment. First, of course, sin grows so badly that he sends a flood and saves Noah and his family. But once again, sin starts multiplying again, and so he once again brings judgment in the Tower of Babel and confuses the languages to restrain sin. And then something amazing happens in Genesis chapter 12. He speaks to Abraham and he tells of a future time in Genesis 12, 4. He says, Abraham, in you, all the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed. In you, in your seed, one translation says, there is one coming that is going to bring blessing to the whole world. And in the Old Testament, the whole rest of the Old Testament is about this one man's family. From Genesis chapter 12 to Malachi 4, it's about this one man's family who is carrying this promise of redemption. And that promise is reiterated again and again through prophets and kings and priests and types that God sets up. But it's, it's the promise of redemption. But when you read about Israel and you read about that family, you see that still... God's plan at that time was to restrain sin through judgment. The pattern was that his people would disobey and God would send judgments. His people would, 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 had to go into captivity and even when they came out of captivity, still judgment is coming and you have God restraining sin through judgment. Judgment. 
So with Christ, birth, life, death, and resurrection, a new era began where God releases blessing through redemption. I want to read 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Listen to this. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God has realigned the human race in Christ. Through the blood of Jesus. In the Old Testament, he was restraining sin through judgment. In the New Covenant, he removes sin for this purpose so that he can release his blessing to all the peoples. There's no one that's left out of this. He has released a blessing to all people through redemption. In Christ, God has freed himself to bring his blessing into this world. This is the new era that we live in. I am so grateful that I live on this side of the cross, that I'm not living in the era where God is only restraining sin through his judgments. I'm living in an era, and so are you, where his plan is to release blessing through redemption. So there's a new beginning for the whole human race. Here's point two. There's a new beginning for you. Even though the universal work is done, it has to become personal for you and I. Even though the big alignment has happened in Christ through his life, death, and resurrection, the big alignment has happened. But for you and I to be part of that, for, for you and I to get in on that blessing of redemption, we must come to Christ ourselves. You have to have your own experience with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of God needs to draw you. Everything starts with God drawing. Everything starts by grace. God draws us. That drawing, it feels like God's knocking on my door, on my life. But to be saved, I have to open up my door. I have to make a response to Christ. I have to own that salvation for myself. It is not enough that your parents are Christians. It is not enough 
that you go to a Christian church that talks about Jesus every week. It's not enough that you have some Bible verses memorized. It's not enough that your pastor talks about Jesus and he has a relationship with God. That's not enough. Let me tell you what the scripture says. This is in John chapter 1, verse 11 through 13. This is, this is God's word. He came to his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God. Not born of man, not born of the will of man, it's not born of a bloodline of man, but it's born of God. To to be saved, to be realigned with God, we must be born again. We must have our own experience and our own relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So I just got off sabbatical. We were on sabbatical February and March and had a number of different excursions. One of them was down to Kansas City. We went down to the house of prayer for a week just to to be in the presence of God, to meet with God, to to get alone with God and really, really press in. And we were staying at the Holiday Inn Express, which is just a few minutes from the prayer room. And each morning it was it was me and Alice and our daughter Christina was along and but every morning was the same ritual for me. I get up very early in the morning, usually about 4.30, and I would come down. They have this breakfast room, and I would turn the lights on. Of course, there's nobody down there making breakfast or anything at that time. And then I would have my quiet time. I'd get all my stuff out, bring all my stuff down there so I'm not disturbing the, the, the ladies that are sleeping, and, and I'm having my own time. That happened every single morning. I would meet down there. Well... One morning, must have been about 5.30, the fire alarm went off. And ah, 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 I mean, at like mega, mega volume. And every single person in that hotel woke up. No, no doubt about it. It was bad and it was long and it kept going, kept going, kept going, and they're trying to figure out whether it's, you know, how to get it off because it was, and, and so finally it goes off. Nobody comes in and says there's a fire, so I just stay there. I'm still doing my thing, and a few minutes after that, this guy comes in, and he sits down. I'm at this table, and he's at the table next to me, but on the other side, and I look up at him and just acknowledge that he's there, and I just assume that he is going to do something. Like he's going to watch TV, or he's going to be on his phone, or he's going to read something. There's got to, he's going to be doing something. And I look up, and it's crazy because he's not doing anything. I'm just, he's just sitting there. And I'm like, I'm not looking. This is going to sound really bad. I'm not looking to talk to people about Jesus. I'm down there to get filled up myself. I'm not looking there to reach out. This is where God pours into me. But I'm like, Lord, are you kidding me? Is this 
did you put him right here? And I'm like, all I can do, all we can ever do really is start a conversation. Isn't that right? So I, I just, I'm like, how you doing? Horrible. So he said, I didn't sleep a wink last night. He said, the guy, the guy in the room next to me was smoking, and that smoke came in, and I was smelling it all night. I couldn't get to sleep, and then he set that alarm off this morning. I know the guy that did it, I'm, and he said, I just, I, I had no sleep last night. And I said, well, yeah, I'm really sorry about that. I said, uh, I'm Tom, and he told me his name is Eric, and we started chatting, and I, I learned some stuff about him that he was back he was originally from Missouri, and he was back for a family reunion, but he, he lived in the Far East, in a country in the Far East with his wife, and his uh, wife was a Buddhist, and I told him I was a pastor, and uh, I asked him about his religious upbringing, and he was raised Methodist. He said, but I haven't been back to church in a long time. And so I, I said, so you, would you de- describe yourself then as kind of like irreligious? And he said, you know, he said, he said, the truth be known. He said, I'm on my way back. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, he said I'm, I'm in a 12-step program right now, and I have embraced the need for a higher power. I said, really? That's, that is really cool, Eric. I said, uh, well, do you mind if I ask you a question about your, about your spiritual journey? He's like, no, go ahead. I said, are you at the point in your spiritual journey where if you died, you, you know you would go to heaven? And he's like, well, I, I don't really know that anybody can know that. And I said, well. I said, it's interesting. I said, uh, the Bible says that you can know and that there's, there's a way you can know. And, and I could tell he, he was hemming and hawing about the Bible. I said, listen, I'm not going to push anything down your throat, but I do know this, this illustration I could draw out for you. I, it would take me about 15 minutes, but it shows so that at least you would know how the Bible says somebody can know that when they die, they're going to go to heaven. I said, would you like to see that illustration? He said, sure. I said, well, I'm, it's going to mean me coming over there, and I, I would draw it over. He said, yeah, come on over. So, so I go over there, and, and I draw out the, the bridge illustration and, and man in sin and that man deserves death and that if man got what he deserved for his sinning, that he would be separated from God and that man has tried to get back to God using good works and religion and, and morals, and, and no matter how hard man tries, man can't get back to God, but, but God did something. God did something to bridge this gap. And I said, Eric, do you, do you know what that was? And he said, uh, well, was it Jesus dying on the cross? I said, yes, yes. This is what God did. Jesus came because even though sin separated us from God's presence, sin never separated us from his love. He never stopped loving mankind. And from the very beginning, there was a plan of redemption Jesus came into this world to die on a cross for you and for me. He took our death upon himself. And I said, so really, the most important thing now is what does it mean 
when, when, when the Bible says believe. Because if you believe this, if you believe in Jesus, the Bible says you're going to be saved. You're going to have eternal life. But it's very important that our definition of believe is the same as the Bible's definition of believe. Wouldn't you agree? He's like, yeah, that, that sounds important. So, well, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean give mental assent to the facts. Yeah, that's what we believe. Yeah, that's what our church believes. Yeah, that's what, we, that's what I think. The Bible says that the demons believe that way and shudder. To believe biblically means three things. And I, I write these out for him. Number one, I must receive Christ. And I gave him the John 1 pa- passage about we must receive Christ. And then two, I must open my door. Revelation 3.20, Jesus is standing at the door knocking. And even though now sin has made us so that God has to come looking, but we don't find God, God has to come find us. However, even when God finds us, he doesn't make us embrace him. He knocks. And that we have to open that door. We have to, by our own volition, embrace salvation. And I said, Eric, this third one is the the most difficult. Because God will take us, Jesus takes us just as we are. But we have to take him just as he is. And he's not just Savior, he's also Lord. And that means there needs to be a change of management. And I gave him the last scripture, Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And, and uh, I said, there's three people in the, in the world, Eric, and just boom, like that, he just gets up and leaves. And I look around, and he's up at the thing, and he's getting some breakfast now. He's starting to serve himself, and, and I'm just feeling horrible. I'm like, I thought he was into this. I thought we were having a conversation. I'm like, did I totally miss this? And so he's not there anymore. So I go, I, but I go ahead, and I draw the three people in the world, and then I just get up and I go back to my table to finish my quiet time. I'm, I'm, I, I feel bad. I feel bad that I, this guy was like stuck in this conversation with me. And I didn't even realize it. And so I just go back. I'm having my quiet time. And uh, he, he comes back and he puts his food down. And he starts talking to me again. And he says, uh, he says by the way, I want to finish this. Are you sure? Yeah, I want to finish this. So I go back over there. I go back over. And, uh, and I show him the three people. And, and, and you know, one is in, isn't interested in all. And one is already over there because they're, they've accepted Christ as he is, as both Savior and Lord. And their trust is in Jesus. They're not perfect, but they, are, they're, they belong to Jesus. And Jesus is changing them little by little. And um, but there's this third person at the door. I said, which one are you, Eric? He said, well, if I had to say, he said, I would, I would, I would be that one at the door. And I said, well, he said, but he said, I'm not even sure that this is true. I'm not sure. My, he told me about his wife is a Buddhist, and he said, I'm not sure that all roads aren't leading there and that it's not that important to be 
to, to, for it to be Jesus. And I said, well, I said, I said, I want to give you something to think about, Eric. Truth by nature is very narrow. One plus one equals two. It's the only right answer. Now, I will grant that other answers can be better than other answers. That, that some answers are way off. Two plus two is 100. That's way off. And two plus two equals 4.5 is, is really close. And that there are religions and different groups that are closer than others and, and, and not everything is bad. But, but Jesus, Jesus is the truth. He is the way. John 14, 6, I gave him John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I understand the question. Why are Christians so narrow? Christians are so narrow. They think they're right and everybody else. Listen, Jesus is the one that said it's narrow. And the question about why is this the only way was before, you, before any human being ever asked that question, Jesus himself asked that same question in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, let this cup, all things are possible with you. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. If there's another way for this to be done, if there's another way for you to reconcile humanity to yourself, I don't want to drink this cup, this cup of the sins of the world, of the wrath of God against sin. It's in Psalm 75. It talks about God's wrath being in this cup. And he says, let this cup pass me if it's possible. But then Jesus said this, but not my will. Your will be done. If this is the only way, Father, then I want, I want to go through with this. I want to embrace this. This is the only way to be reconciled. Jesus has aligned us to God in the new covenant so that God can release blessing through redemption. But you and I have to come to Christ. And so I asked Eric, I said, bro, I said, would you mind if I just had a prayer for it? And he said, no, please. And so I prayed for Eric, shook his hand, (laughs) went back to my table. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where Eric went with it from there. I don't know any more of his journey. But here's what I do believe. I don't believe God caused the smoke alarm to go off. But I believe he used it. I believe he used it to wake Eric up and to bring him right there so that Jesus himself could knock on his door. I don't believe God has caused coronavirus. But friends, I believe with all my heart that he is using it to wake us up. To wake us up so that we can think about these things. And I'm just urging you to not let this day pass if you, do not, if you have not aligned with God in Jesus Christ. If you have not accepted him as he is, Savior and Lord. 
It's not enough that he's knocking. You have to open the door. You have to say, I want to do this. And it has to be real for you. So that's point two. And now we're into point three. This is my last point. It's a new beginning for the human race, for you, and then thirdly, for Christians in America. The rest of this message, I'm going to call it prophetic because I'm going to share what I believe God spoke to me. So I, wanna, I want us to talk about the prophetic just a little. This is uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21. It says, do not quench the Holy Spirit and do not despise prophetic utterances. The Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes, when the Holy Spirit manifests, he is going to speak. Don't despise it that that the Holy Spirit speaks today. Don't, don't make a theology that says, I, because people say, God said, God said, God said, God said. I don't think God's speaking to any of those people. They're crazy. Listen, be very careful. You're, you're going to end up quenching the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Holy Spirit and do not despise prophetic utterances. But then it says something very interesting. It says, rather, judge them. You need to judge your own prophetic experiences and you need to judge the prophetic experiences of others. If we've ever had a time where we, we need God to speak, we, we don't need just another newscaster or a new, another commentator or another opinion or another blog about how things are. We need God to speak. We need God to speak in our lives. Well, if that's true, then we better have a grid of how to judge when God does speak, whether it's to us or to someone else. And so, and then it says this, and then don't, don't despise it, judge it, and then cling to what is good. So it's basically saying, judge it not as a cynic that doesn't believe, but as somebody that does believe God does speak today, and I'm, I'm trying to hear him, and I'm looking to cling to what is good, because sometimes... And this is what, what makes it very difficult. Sometimes people have part God and part themselves. Part the real thing and part hamburger helper that they added themselves. And that makes the whole thing very difficult. But you have an, a responsibility when somebody says, God told me, or I believe God told me, you have a responsibility, I have a responsibility to not just accept it, even if we like the person, even if we trust that person. We always have to trust the prophetic. And so... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what happened to me a couple weeks ago. I believe God spoke something to me on my prayer walk. To give you a little context for it, we have to go back a year. It was just about this time. I think it was more like February, though. It was about February where... God, I felt like God was speaking to me three times in one week. And I always look for repeats if, if it's God speaking, that, that, that God confirms it in a number of ways. And three times in one week, the same thing came to me very strong 
from different people, different ways, different sources, and all three said the exact same thing. And here was, here's what it was. It's time to go into the land. Speaking of city church, it's time to go into the land. Let me, let me unpack what that meant to me. The promised land is what the people of Israel were redeemed for. They weren't just redeemed out of Egypt. They were redeemed for the promised land. That was where their full purpose would be realized. The wilderness represents a place of wandering where nothing ever gets advanced for the kingdom of God. You just, God takes care of you, God loves you, and, but you just keep doing the same thing over and over again even though you're God's people. The promised land represents us going forward, advancing the kingdom of God. It represents, to me, outpouring of the Holy Spirit where there's, there's more God activity, more salvations, more healings, more, more love, more holiness, that God's things are moving forward. We're not just holding ground, but the kingdom is advancing. Here's what else it means to me. When God says, go into the promised land. What it says to me is that there is a time that God has opened up which is available. This is available. We call it, because the Greek word for it is kairos. It means an opportune time. It is a window of time that God opens up and you need to respond in that opportune time or because that time can be lost. And, and so it, there, there's a certain urgency. The, of course, the first time when they went to the land, there was this opportune time that was open and the children of Israel decided not to. They went back into the wilderness and the time was lost. And then they wanted to go later and God said, no, no, that time's over now. Now you're gonna be in the wilderness for a long time. So there's, there's times in our life where we need to, we need to listen and we need to act or something that was offered can be lost. And so I took this very seriously. I, I talked to our staff. I told them about it. I, we talked to the whole church about it. And, and we said, we are waiting for instructions to go into the land. And so the first thing we did in response to this is we started these meetings called Worship and Waiting. And they're, they're two hours on a Sunday night, and it's probably about every six weeks or so. And we just set these times aside um, so that God could speak, so that God could have his way. And, and so we started having these meetings regularly, invited people to come out, and just with no agenda except to worship God and to wait for his instructions so that we can obey. Well, the first thing that became evident as we held these meetings is that the first way that we're to go into the land is it's not just a meeting of worship and waiting, but a culture of worship and waiting. It's not about those meetings on Sunday nights. It's about a life. He wants believers to aspire to a life 
of worship and waiting. That worship's not just an event on Sunday morning or during your quiet time, but our whole life is worship. That we are living sacrifices, which is our reasonable service of worship. That our whole lives are worship before him and that we take this posture in our lives, not of telling God what we want him to do, but this posture of waiting and saying, God, what do you want to do? And try, and try to get into the flow of what God wants to do. So that was kind of step one, and we felt like, yeah, that's definitely part of what God is telling us needs to, to go. So we're, we're trying to move towards this culture. Well, a second thing happened in the fall. Um, we had been doing Pray 130s, which the church praying 130 straight hours, and, uh, but a lot of the slots, especially the ones in the middle of the night, would go empty, but it was a call, and it was nice. I love the ministry. It costs nothing. It involves a lot of people, and, and we'd call the church to do this. And, um, but I felt like God wanted to take it to another level. And we started something called Pray 132. We added two hours, and we made it around Psalm 132. Psalm 132 is a psalm of David. And it begins by David saying, I will not give rest to my eyes. I will not sleep in my bed until I've made a resting place for God on this earth. He is, he is filled with passion for making a place for the presence of God. He is aiming at it. He is putting effort towards it. He's aspiring towards it. And he makes this vow, God, I'm not going to rest until I've made a resting place for you. And Psalm 132, after David, the first few verses are what David says to God. And then the response of Psalm 132 is amazing. God's response to this prayer of David is, you're making a vow to me? All right, I'm going to make a vow to you now. Your house is going to endure forever. I'm going to give your priests joy. There's going to be abundant provision. There's going to, the, the, God just lists blessing after blessing. And, and I, once again, brought it to our leaders, brought it to our staff. I said, guys, I think we're supposed to take the lead on this. I think we need to get a little more aggressive. And so we added to, to worship and waiting. We added four more hours called the night watch where there's two more meetings and our whole leadership team agreed we will be there all of the first six hours and we will be the first ones to sign up for those tough hours to fill, midnight to 6 a.m. We are going to lead the way. We're going to lead the way. We're saying as a leadership team, God, we, we, Holy Spirit, help us. We want to be as passionate as David. We want to say... We're not going to rest until your full purposes are accomplished on the earth. And so, so that was the second thing that we did. And of course, while I was on sabbatical, there was a, a Pray 132 led by our staff. And uh, it, it was amazing. All the hours were filled. Actually, it was the first time we had, a, we had a waiting list for people that wanted to pray and they weren't on the list anyway. Cool. So that brings us to what happened to me a couple of weeks ago. And I'm going I'm to give you why I believe God spoke to me, and you can judge it. I go on this prayer walk every morning um, where I walk around. It's probably a mile or two, two miles maybe, I don't know, around, all around our neighborhood, through our park. And, um, and I'm, I'm just worshiping Jesus. I'm just enjoying the presence of God. I'm still on sabbatical at this time. 
And I have a sentence come into my mind. Let me tell you what the sentence was. You won't cross over unless you take the cross over. Maybe it was, maybe it was more like this. To cross over, you have to take the cross over. That was, that was the gist. To cross over, you have to take the cross over. Okay, that's the whole thing. Now, here's why I believe it was the Lord. Two reasons. One, I wasn't thinking about it. (laughs) It just came. But we have been praying, God, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? How do we get over? How do we go into the promised land? How do we cross the Jordan and get into the promised land? We've been praying this for a whole year. God, give us wisdom. Give us revelation. Many people have been praying this. And then unbidden by me, it comes to cross over you have to take the crossover. So, so one reason, I think, because those thoughts came unbidden by my own mind. And here's the second reason. When it came into my mind, I immediately knew what it meant. And it meant two things. Taking the crossover means two things. Number one, it means that you have to fully accept what Jesus did for you on the cross. Why? Because when we continue to live in guilt and shame and regret... And our our whole Christian life is one of, I'm not pleasing God, I'm not pleasing God, I'm not pleasing God, and, and us beating ourselves up because we're not good enough, we're not good enough, we're not good enough, we're not good enough. It seems really humble. It seems like I'm being really humble about what a horrible Christian I am. But it's actually pride. What do you mean, Pastor Tom? Here's what I mean. Jesus took that punishment for you. Jesus is all, already took sin's punishment so that he could remove guilt, so that he could remove shame, and so that he could remove regret, so that you would be free to walk with him. As long as we live our lives, even as confessing Christians, under guilt, shame, and regret, we're going to stay in the wilderness. The, the, the weight of our shame and our guilt and our regret is going to pull us back into the wilderness. At some point, we need to settle it. What Jesus did is enough. He was punished already. I don't have to punish myself. We have to take, the enemy accuses us and puts a hammer in our hands and usually he doesn't have to do much more because then we spend our lives just beating ourselves up. Yeah, I'm horrible. Yeah, I'm horrible. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm going to heaven one day, but it's horrible down here. And we just beat ourselves up with shame and regret and guilt. And the Lord's asking us to take the cross over. You've got to take that hammer out of your hand. You've got to lay it down at the cross and say, okay, God, I'm done. I fully accept what you did for me. It was enough. The chastisement upon him obtained peace for me. God has purchased peace for you. It glorifies him when you accept peace with God through the blood of Jesus. 
Here's what's really going on. Here's why you can never go into the promised land as long as you are self-punishing. It's, it's, it's John chapter 1, verse 17. Here's what it says. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Moses represents the law. Moses represents the performance identity. It's why Moses could not get the people into the promised land. The most that Moses can do is get you to the edge of the promised land and show you, I need a savior. I need Jesus. That's all Moses can do is get you to the edge. Do you know that Joshua is is Hebrew for Jesus? Joshua and Jesus are the same name. One is Hebrew and one one is Greek. It's the same name. Only Jesus can take us in. But we got to let go of the performance identity. You don't get in by your own good works. Sorry. You don't go in by trying harder. You go in because Jesus was good enough. And his, it's his purpose to take you in. And you just got to accept his blood was enough to wash away not just the penalty of sin, but the guilt and the shame and the regret of sin. You've got to accept a new beginning. The second thing it meant, I knew it right away. It's not just accepting, fully accepting Christ's work on, the, on his cross, but it's also that we must embrace our cross. Mark 8, 34 and 35. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. Jesus said that his call The only way this thing works, if we stop living for self-preservation, you can't hold on to your knife. You need to lay it down for his sake and for the gospels. The original apostles did this. Eleven of them uh, suffered for their faith. Judas betrayed them. The other eleven all suffered. Ten of them died. The other, they tried to kill John, and he was eventually in prison, but they all suffered. Did you know why that's why I believe the new Jerusalem that we read about in, in, in Revelation 22, the apostles' names are written on the foundation of that city? Because I believe this is part of the foundation. We have to embrace the cross. It's part of the foundation. Christianity doesn't work without this, folks. When I heard about the coronavirus and I first started watching the news, probably like all of you, and there are early projections where millions, and this is everybody, and this is going to devastate everything, and da-da-da-da. A spirit of fear got on me. I just became all afraid. I just became all about, what about me? What about my this? What about my that? What about my that? And then I just, here's what I said. I'll just tell you what I said. (laughs) I don't have to survive. I don't have to survive. This is not about me. This is about Jesus. It's about me and my kingdom and my this. My name is it's not that important. City church's name is not that important. This is about Jesus. And I just declared it. I don't need to survive. Let me tell you what happened to me. Immediately fear left me. 
there's something about refusing to live for self-preservation. And instead of making your life about you and about how God's going to bless you and, God, and I'm going to have this happen, I'm going to have that happen, I'm going to have, there's some, something amazingly freeing of saying, none of that has to happen. Jesus, I'm yours and whatever this looks like, honor your name. Hallowed be thy name. Let your kingdom come. Here's why it's so, so critical. Without embracing our cross, we can't advance the kingdom of God. Here's why. Wilderness is safer. It's safer to go back to the wilderness. Why? There's no giants in the wilderness. There's no fortified cities in the wilderness. There's no war in the wilderness. The wilderness is always safer. The only problem with it is, is the kingdom cannot be advanced if you go back to the wilderness. Let me tell you what I believe would be the greatest tragedy in America right now. It's not the coronavirus. It would be for the American church to simply go back to normal and not advance. I believe God has woken up his church through this this time. And God wants there to be a new normal, folks. He, He wants us to embrace the cross, and he wants us to go into the land. Well, Pastor Tom, what does that mean practically? Simply this, more prayer, more devotion, more commitment to the body of Christ, more, more sacrifice, more love, more love, not just of our own, but love of strangers, more evangelism. God wants to take this thing to another level. But you and I need to be on a mission to go forward and not go back. Let me just read it to you from Scripture. Luke 9, 59 through 62. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Both of these guys say, I will serve you, but me first. Me first. I I love you, Lord. I want to serve you, Lord. But me first. Me first. Friends, there is an Americanized version of Christianity that it's me first. And God's going to bless me and God's going to help me and he's my retirement plan, but it's it's, it's me first pretty much. Listen, we will not advance the kingdom of God. We will lose the next generation with that Christianity. I guarantee it. There is an opportunity now to get this thing right. It's, 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 here's the amazing thing. And I'm, not, I'm almost done, guys. I'll bring the worship team up in just a second. Here's the amazing thing. By fully accepting Christ's work, we lose the weight of our sin, guilt, and shame. It just lightens us. I don't have to, I, I'm forgiven. I've got a new beginning. It's amazing. But when we embrace our own cross, we lose another weight. It's called the weight of self. Self 
is a horrible weight, and you're not going to be able to move where God wants you to move when you're weighed down. Jesus has an easy yoke and a light burden, but they come through the cross, both his cross and embracing our cross. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back, and I'm going to close by telling you the story of Esther. Esther sovereignly becomes queen of Persia. This isn't about 500 B.C. She is Xerxes' queen. She is a young lady, but by the sovereignty of God, she gets this position of the queen of Persia. And while she is queen, an evil man named Haman uh, makes a plot, and the king doesn't realize that who Haman actually is, and he's got him as one of his top advisors, and, and Haman makes this plot against the Jewish people because Haman was not treated with respect by Mordecai, Esther's uncle. He refused to bow down when Haman walked past, and he, it was too little of him to kill Mordecai. He wanted to kill all of the Jewish people, so he got this ring of authority from the king, and he made this decree that on a certain day, he was going to, it, that all the people of Persia were to rise up and were to attack the Jewish people. So Mordecai writes a note and sends it to his niece, Esther, and tells about the decree. And here's Esther's response. I feel horrible. This decree is horrible, Uncle Mordecai, and I wish I could do something, but that's not how it works. The king would actually have to ask me to come into his presence. Otherwise, to, to approach him without him asking me would be to die, except for the one exception where he extends the scepter a favor. And Mordecai writes this message back. Esther, if you choose to do nothing, God will raise up salvation from somewhere else. But consider this. Consider that it's for such a time as this that you've come into the kingdom. And he tells her, I, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going I'm to fast for you for three days. And Esther says this, if I perish, I perish. She lays down self-preservation. This is my hour. It would be safer short-term for me to do nothing, to take no risk, but, but God is inviting me in this hour to let go of self-preservation and to say, if I perish, I perish. So she does it. The king extends his scepter of favor. By God's sovereignty, Haman is killed. And the, the ring of authority that was on Haman's finger, the king takes and he puts it on Mordecai. And here's what he says to Mordecai. Mordecai, make a new decree. He said, the way the law of Persia goes, I can't reverse the old decree. You need to make a new decree that gives the Jewish people authority. That their enemies can't just stomp over them. They, they can fight back. Well, friends, here's the gospel. I believe that Mordecai is a divine, a picture of Jesus. 
When Jesus came, he would not bow down when the enemy wanted him. The enemy had the authority, and, but Jesus would not bow down. And, and he incited Satan's rage. And in God's sovereignty, Jesus died on the cross, taking away the enemy's authority over this planet, over the human race. And God took that ring and he put it on Jesus. And Jesus comes to his disciples and he said, all authority is now mine. Now go. The old decree is still in place. Sin and death is still happening all over this world. But I'm making a new decree. Go and bring the gospel. Bring the good news. Go wherever you go. And not just go individually, but go corporately. When he said go, it was to them. Together, go. Go. All of you are going to have a role. Bring the gospel to to the nations. I need you to work together. It's not just this church. We're working with all the churches. We're working with all the country, the church in all the countries. Together, Jesus is saying go. And he's saying this, I believe this with all my heart, folks. For such a time as this, you've come into the kingdom. It's not time to retreat. It is not time to retreat or God will pass us over and have to raise up another generation in another time. For such a time as this, and here's the response he's looking for from every Christian. For you to say with me, If I perish, I perish, but I'm going to go forward. I am not going to play it safe. I'm going to take the authority that Jesus gave me, and I'm going to fight back. I am not going to be a victim, and I'm not going to retreat. I'm going forward. So let's pray, and we've got the worship team. Lord, thank you for your great love. Father, I pray for any that are watching, that need to do business with you today, that you are knocking today. You are knocking, Holy Spirit, you are drawing today. And and young people, old people, that today is the day. You want to open up the door right now. Open that door. Just tell them right now, I'm opening my door, God. Come on in and save me. I want want to align myself with blessing through redemption. I want to align myself right now. Jesus, come in and save me. I receive you not just as Savior, but as Lord, as you are. Take me as I am. Now, Lord, I take you as you are. There's a second group that you have been under guilt and shame and fear and regret, and you've just, just it's just been pulling you back to the wilderness again and again. And today you want to say it to God, Lord, I want to fully accept today the work on the cross. Fully accept that Jesus, Lord, forgive me for punishing myself when you were already punished for this. So Lord, I take that hammer of self-accusation, self-hatred, and in an act of worship and humility, I lay that hammer down on the cross and I say, Jesus, what you did is enough. Lord, would you wash over them with peace right now? Wash over them with peace. Lord, untie accusation, untie darkness, untie shame. It doesn't matter how long you've sinned, how bad you've sinned. It doesn't matter. You are not a special case. Sinners sin. Get over it. Bring it to the cross and accept the full payment that was made for your, for your, on your behalf by the blood of Jesus. And then, Father, I pray. I pray for City Church. I pray we wouldn't go back to normal. Can't wait to get back to normal. Lord, make a new normal. Make a new normal, Jesus. Make a new normal where the presence of God is stronger, where worship is more abandoned, where love is more risky, where holiness is more evident. 
where evangelism just flows out of us. Not force, it flows because the river of God is flowing at a whole new level. Please, God, please, please, please make a new normal. Align us, we pray. God, we love you today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for joining us. And please enjoy this last song.